0: If you were watching the news this week, and I say this virtually every week because I am constantly dumbfounded by just how bad human beings can be between the shootings and the stabbings and people just losing their ever loving mind, you start asking the question, how bad is bad? And I think we can trace it all back to the 60s. In the 60s, when I was born, they took prayer out of the public school. They said children don't need to learn about prayer at school because they need to learn that at home. The problem was the people at home weren't teaching prayer. So we have grown up with a generation of people who, just like in the Old Testament, have grown up not knowing what faith is, not knowing what it looks like, not knowing how it acts. If you look at the world today, it seems the whole world is nothing but one big disaster. But I want to remind you something. Even if you get outside God's will, even if your whole life falls apart, when things crash and burn, after a disaster strikes anyone's life, whether it be death or the loss of a job, loss of health, whatever it is that happens, God will bring a new beginning. I want you to write that down somewhere, it on your spouse's hand, God will bring a new beginning, and we're going to talk about the day, that today. We are in Genesis chapter 8. We were, the flood has come, so the, the earth has been wiped out, and then it was, it was turbulent for 150 days. That's where we left off in chapter 7. We're going to look today at what happens when God brings a new beginning. This could be to the people of the flood days. That could be to the people of this country today when things are changing in so much turmoil. It could be your life. Something may have upended your life like the death of someone you love. So what happens after that? God brings a new beginning. Genesis chapter eight, verse one. When does that happen? It begins in the fullness of time. Remember, God knows the exact moment when things need to happen. And if you don't believe me, sit down with me sometime. Buy me a steak dinner and I'll tell you. I'm just kidding, guys. Just kidding. You don't got to do that. I will tell you what it looks like when God comes at just the right moment, not a minute before, not a minute after, but at the exact moment when you need it, God's gonna bring that change. Look at this. Genesis 8, 1, God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water began to subside. The sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed. So those fountains of the deep those subterranean oceans that we talked about last week, they are sealed up. They are no longer springing forth in those supersonic geysers like you see at Yellowstone National Park. Okay, the heavens, that, that canopy of water that had shielded the earth from all that cosmic radiation and all of that stuff, that, that, that shield was now gone. It was now dissipated. That watery covering was no longer there. So the world was going to change. Your life may have been through something this week that will change it forever, So this is definitely for you. This is the fullness of time. So it says, "The sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded from the earth, and by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. Okay, so that water had gone down. The ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. For those of you who skip past that, How many mountains did it just mention? More than one. There is a mountain in Turkey called the Mountain of Ararat. Did you know that to the south and to the west of that mountain peak, there are a set of other mountains called the Mountains of Ararat? And I've seen some specials over the last few weeks. I've been watching, catching up, and they believe they have found something in the Mountains of of Ararat. They went all over Mount Ararat looking for the ark. Couldn't find it. You know why? They were looking in the wrong place. Seems like maybe it is south and a little bit west. Now, there are also those who believe that there's a, there's a possibility that the actual ark may be resting in some mountains closer to Iraq, to the south, only because when it says that they came down from the ark, it says they came down westward into the plains of Shinar. So maybe instead of being dead west, which is over in Iraq, maybe it was to the north and to the, to the east. So they came down westward. We don't know. All that matters is that the ark settled. As that water went down, those peaks came up. It caught and it stopped. If you've ever been in a boat, you know what it's like when you hit, a, when you hit rocks or shoals or you hit something in the water because everything stops real suddenly. That would have gotten the attention of everybody on the ark because it stopped moving. So let's say this, the fullness of time. Did Noah know when the mountains of Ararat would catch the ark? No, he didn't. Did he have faith that God was going to bring that to a rest at the right time? Yes. Do you feel like your life is in an upheaval right now? Do you feel like everything is turning upside down, left, right, over and over? Uh, we've all talked a little bit, so I kind of know where people are with their physical condition, with their job situation. You know, you get to a certain age you start going, hey, how much longer can I do this? You may notice I don't have a wedding ring on today. You know why? It's not because me and her are fighting. It's because my arthritis has gotten so bad I can't get my wedding ring on anymore. Just this one finger, one finger is swollen and I can't get my wedding ring on. Thank you. Welcome to 60. There it is. So here's the thing. Life happens. But when something happens in your life, start looking. When Charles Stanley fell and he broke his hip, he said, I did not ask my Lord, why did I fall? When I was laying on the floor asking for help from my family, I was asking God, what are you trying to show me? Remember that when something happens in your life, some upheaval some broken relationship, maybe some loss of a job or health or arthritis sending in on you. I was surprised I could play today. Uh, when that happens, ask the Lord, what is he showing you? What is this all about? Because God's got something going on. You can count on that. So in the fullness of time, what? Second point, I want you to see. When the fullness of time, Noah was ready to lead the ark. Okay, so they've been on there 150 days, and everything starts to settle down. That's a long time to be on a boat. You ever been on a boat for five months, four or five months? Not quite. There you go. Navy, yes. And We know Eddie has, too, been at sea for that long. After that, you are itching to get off that boat. You are itching to get back on, quote, unquote, dry land. Of course, there wasn't any dry land in these days. But I want you to see what God's about to do. The waters continued to receive, we're in verse five, until the 10th month in the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. Now don't forget what's happened. The world was one continent. We call it Pangea in the scientific world today. Now what happened is that you had a geologically stable world. You have these fountains of the deep exploding at supersonic rates. The oceans that they've discovered under the earth that are still there These exploded up, shattering the tectonic plates of the earth. That's when all that stuff went into motion. All those breakages happened then. And as they happened, those plates began to crash into each other. What happens when plates crash into each other? It's called rapid upheaval. Those plates squish together and everything goes up. That causes those mountains to go up. So not only did the water go down, but the mountains went up to meet them. They weren't these massive mountains. The Himalayas weren't there before the flood. They got formed afterwards by all that geologic upheaval. So basically, these peaks began to poke through the top of the world. It says, after 40 days, so here we are a month later, after 40 days, Noah opened the windows of the ark and, he, and that he had made, and he sent out a raven. Ravens are strong flyers. That's why he sent it out, to see what was out there in the real world. He couldn't see anything, maybe some peaks poking up here and there on the water, just enough to arrest the ark's movement. It went back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see whether the water on the earth's surface had gone down. But the dove found no resting place for her foot, because she wouldn't have settled on the water, even if there was a little rock sticking up. He reached out and brought her into the ark himself. So Noah waited seven more days, and he sent out the dove from the ark again. When, uh, When the dove came to him at evening, there was a plucked olive leaf in her beak. Okay, so this bird found something that was out there. You know, I always thought like, okay, if the world got wiped out by water, where's where's this bird gonna catch a leaf from? But it's interesting if you look at the uh the growing landmass at Hawaii, right? This these volcanic eruptions happen and this lava spreads, and people think it's gonna be dead for a long time. They went there after a major eruption, after this new landmass was formed, and there was already stuff growing on it. There was enough dirt and silt that had laid down and picked up um enough foundation for things to begin to grow. So here we are, 40 days had passed since the first time, so now we've got something growing on the face of the earth, enough to pluck a leaf of some kind and bring it back. So it says this, When the dove came back in the evening, they had plucked an olive leaf in her beak, so no one knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. After he had waited another seven days, does anyone notice something interesting about Noah? Is he in a hurry to get off the boat? Is he in a hurry to push the whole program because he waits 40 days and then he sends out the raven, then he sends out the dove and he waits and he waits. Do we have that kind of patience with God? When you pray for something, do you wait 40 days and then wait seventy seven days and then wait another seven days? Or do you jump at the very first thing you see? My thing is, I think God has something good for all of us. But sometimes we're in such a hurry to get any kind of validation for what we want that sometimes we take the good and not the best. You take the good and not the best. But Noah is wise because God's given him wisdom to wait until absolute confirmation. So it says this, So he waited another seven days, he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again in the 600th and first year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. So now we've got this land mass out there that's visible that you can see, there's not water, there's water back in the oceans or in the rivers, but not all over the land. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying By the 27th day of the seventh month, the earth was dry. All of this time that Noah is doing this, he is building anticipation. You know what anticipation is? Anticipation is like the word hope. Do you know that in Hebrew, the word hope does not mean, gee, I hope it's going to rain or gee, I hope my wife remembers my birthday or gee, I hope I get a raise. That's not that kind of hope. The word hope means a sure and certain expectation. Noah knew that the flood was coming before he even saw it. Why? He knew that God said he's going to do it. God put them in the boat. Why? To keep them safe. So if God put them in the boat to keep them safe, and it says God sealed them in, we talked about that last week. If God sealed them in, he was going to preserve them. So all Noah had to do is wait for that confirmation that now is the time to act. So the dove goes out, the dove does not come back. It's been months now, but he's not in a hurry. He's not pushing it. He's waiting to see exactly what God had done. If you add up all the days listed right here, how long was Noah on the ark? A lot of people say he was on the ark 40 days. That's how long it rained. Some say, oh, maybe he was on the month on, on the ark a couple months. No, I, I don't think so. I kind of think the Bible tells us that he was on the ark one year and 10 days. If you look, the flood came in Noah's 600th year of life. And now we're in the 601st year of life. In fact, he goes in on the s- second month and he comes out on the second month of the next year. But then he waits another 27 days. He went in on the 17th. He comes out on the 27th. That's a year and 10 days. Would you wait a year and 10 days for God to answer your prayer? What have you ever prayed for that you prayed for day after week, after month, after year? What have you prayed for so certain that God would answer that you don't stop praying till you get the answer? Have you ever had a prayer like that? Have you ever had that kind of prayer? Because, you see, God doesn't answer Hail Marys. Hail Mary works in football, doesn't it? Throw that ball up there, pray to Jesus, and let it go downfield. That's a Hail Mary. For those of you who are not old enough to remember Pittsburgh back in the day. That's a Hail Mary. Okay? But this is no Hail Mary. You throw that prayer up showing God, yes, Lord, I still believe you're going to act. And then you act, and then I praise you for it. We're going to get to that in a minute, by the way. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. It is so important that you realize this. Noah waited a year and 10 days to be saved, to be delivered from the disaster that would destroy the entire earth. Oh, by the way, I was watching TV last night and uh, this guy says he believes that aliens designed Noah's ark. Because it works so perfectly. And he believes that Noah's Ark was an artificial way of saving people on earth from whatever disaster these aliens were going to bring. And I'm like, well, at least they know there was an ark. They're right, they're right on that point, but they're wrong on everything else. They, they want to have some other way to explain it so that God doesn't get the credit for everything that he has done. Consider this: Matthew 24. 36 through 44, but concerning that day and hour, no man knows this is the day of God's return, the day when Jesus will call us home. It says, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the world that you live in right now, people. You live in a world that is about to be judged, but they are completely unaware. Why? They're unaware because teachers tell us that Noah's Ark is a fable. They tell us that there was no Noah's Ark. There was no global flood. Well, actually, they just changed their mind about a year ago. They said, oh, my goodness, we just discovered there was a global flood. And we're all like, duh, hello. We've been telling you that for 2,000 years. They finally figured it out, but they found some other way to explain it. Now they got aliens saving us instead of God. It's amazing to me. So until the day that Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to be like that, people. It's going to be so quick. Why is Noah's flood so important? Because it foreshadows exactly what Jesus is going to do. Jesus himself tells us Noah was real. The ark was real. The flood was real. The devastation of the earth was absolutely real. I told you guys before, they have done these studies of the earth's oceans. Ask any Navy man. There are over 200 sunken cities just in the Mediterranean area alone that proved there was a civilization on this earth that got wiped out and sunk to the bottom of the sea. You see, what is left of the civilization that was there before is still there. Massive blocks in the Caribbean that could only have been laid by people, only laid on land before there was a flood. The proof of the flood is there. Why is that important? Because if God judged that world and gave Noah a hundred years to warn everybody, don't you think he's going to judge us even more when he's given us 2,000 years to get ready for his return? Think about this. Noah was ready to leave the ark. Why? Because he was ready to take refuge in it. Noah was ready to leave because he knew the world was gone. And he knew that God was going to use those eight people and those animals to rebuild the entire world. Oh, by the way, you'll be glad to know that scientists agree that everyone on earth is descended from a very small group of people that they believe used to live somewhere in Africa or the Middle East. Now, you see, the world before the flood was a different place. One continent, one land. So we don't know where everybody went. We don't know what happened to all those sunken cities. Actually, we do know we can see them right now. But here's the thing. If it happened, that it is going to happen again. Noah screamed and cried and pled for people to be saved, but they would not be saved because they did not believe it was coming. People in America today do not believe in Jesus Christ because they do not believe God would destroy the entire world. But if If they believe that, they have neglected this story right here. Because this says, I did it then, and I'm gonna do it again. So think about this. In the fullness of time, Noah was ready to leave the ark, but he waited. He waited till the right moment. He waited till God gave him confirmation. Now, Jesus said, You can't know the day or the hour, but you can know the season. Look at the world, people. This is the season of the end. This may not be the end, it may not be the last day or the last days or the last weeks. But we are in the time of the end, before the rapture, before all the horror of the tribulation begins. This is our time to make ourselves ready. Believe me, when the 150 days were over back up here in the first few verses, Noah began to get ready. But you know what? Noah didn't sit around playing cards with his wife, waiting for God to rescue them. What were they doing for a year and 10 days? I'll tell you what they were doing. John, they were feeding cows and dogs and horses and camels and whatever else was on that ark. They were feeding them, caring for them, taking care of their own people. That's what they were doing for a year. What are we doing right now while we wait for Jesus Christ to call us home? What are we doing? Because they had stuff to do on that ark. They had duties and assignments and tasks. We have duties and assignments and tasks right now to make Jesus known on the earth Wow, there's still time for people to be saved. I think it would have been wonderful if just somebody walked up to the ark and go, Hey, Noah, I I believe you. Can Can I go with you? No one did that because they didn't believe. But this is our time to tell people, get on board the true ark. Get on board the one ark that can save you, keep you safe, bring you through the flood. And that ark's name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's finish this thing up. Third point I want you to see. The third stage in these new beginnings is this. So in the fullness of time, Noah was ready to leave the ark, and he was ready to begin a new walk with God. Now, before I go on, I want you to think about this. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You may have the tightest walk with Jesus of anybody you know, or you may barely give God a thought from Sunday to Sunday. You see, that's not my business. That's your business. You take care of your walk with Jesus, amen? That's up to you. I'm not going to fuss at you. But I'm saying this. If you want to celebrate the goodness of God, every year you have what in your marriage? An anniversary. When you lavish that person with praise and love, attention, and jewelry. That's what anniversaries are for. What do we do to celebrate the anniversary of every day we spend with Jesus Christ? Genesis eight fifteen. Then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives with you, bringing out all the living creatures that are with you, birds, livestock, those that crawl on the ground, and they will spread over the earth. Remember now, the earth is different. Now these tectonic plates are fractured. Now they're separating. Now they're moving apart. But don't forget... It's been darker than dark for a year and 10 days. Don't you think an ice bridge has formed between all of those continents? Don't you think there's ways to get from one land to the other? Remember, they'd only been separating for a year. There may only have been 20 feet or 30 feet or half a mile between those continents. They're further apart today because that landmass keeps coming up and shoving them apart. But these animals are going to go everywhere on the earth, especially the ones that fly. So he says this, every creature that crawls on the earth come out of the ark by their groups. Then Noah built an altar. First thing he does, he does not put up a house or put up an antenna for TV. No, he doesn't. Do- Noah built an altar to the Lord. Then he took some of every clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Remember, there's seven pairs of the clean stuff. Only, only a male and a female, of the unclean. But there's seven pairs of clean. Why? They had to eat and they had to sacrifice. So he offers an offering to God saying, thank you for bringing us through. Noah could have patted himself on the back. Look at this great boat I made. Look at this great steadfast vehicle. Look at look at the way that we provided for ourselves. All of our hard work paid off. No, he praised God that that boat didn't fall apart in the ocean because God was the only thing that held it together. Not skill, not strategy, Not not Engineering, but God, your life is the same way. What holds you together is not how wise you are, how smart you are, how strong you are, how much money you have. What holds you together is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I hope you can say Amen to that because it's the truth. So he pulled an a burnt offering. He took some of every clean animal and every clean clean bird, offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, by the way, does God have a nose? I'm just throwing this up. No. When it says smell the aroma, it is more what is behind it. It is the spirit behind it. It is what God did through everyone that now God is receiving that praise back. See, he instituted the sacrificial system way back in the Garden of Eden when he killed that that creature and took its hide to clothe Adam and Eve, right? We we did that one way back. So we smelled this aroma of faithfulness, if you want to call it, He said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. Wait a minute. There's only it's only eight people in the world. Yet still that evil, still that selfishness, that that self-desire. Believe me, they didn't spend a year and 10 days on that boat without every husband getting in a fight with a wife that ain't going to happen. They had their throw twos on that ark. Trust me. You get get walled up in one room this size with your spouse for a year and and 10 days and not able to get off. You're going to have words with each other. God knew them. He loved them, but he knew them. He said every inclination of their heart is selfish. They want what's best for them, what, what they can get out of it. And he is stating that to say, hey, man hasn't changed. Man is not angelic, man is not perfect or pure, man is just forgiven because of my grace. So it says that I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth, and I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, please note that, because it's going to make a big difference in the book of Revelation when it said the earth is fried, burned to a crisp, and there is no more earth. Because this this is the end of God's promise. It says this, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. And they won't cease until the seven years of the tribulation are over and the 1,000 years of Christ's reign are concluded. Then the earth will be incinerated. Then there will be no more earth and God will make a new heaven and a new earth for his people to dwell in. What it's going to look like, I don't know. What it's going to be like, I don't know. The book of Revelation says there is no sun and no moon in this new Jerusalem. So there is no planetary system, if you want to get you know, um, particular about it. There's no planetary system. There's no sun, no moon, no orbiting. So we're not going to be back on this earth. Much as I love people who attend a certain church, <laughs> they're wrong. We're not going to be here for eternity. This is not going to be an earthly paradise. This will all be gone 1,000 years after Christ begins his reign. But until that point, this planet will continue and he will never again destroy it the way he did before. He cleansed the earth. They are starting over. This is earth 2.0. What's interesting is, did you know that among all Native American religions, there is a firm belief that the flood was the third judgment on the earth? They believe there were two more before that, but we don't know exactly where that comes from. But they all believe in a universal flood that wiped out the earth. So they got that part right. Every culture in the world, every nation, every people group believed there was a flood. Why? Because there was one. It's real simple. They didn't share a common story. They shared a common memory. Because there's only eight people getting off this boat. There's nobody else in the world. All eight people knew what happened. All eight people had the same story. Now how their children and children's children continue that is up to them. But think about this. Something very important here. Noah built an altar to the Lord. Every great group of people throughout the Bible were altar builders. Okay? It, It begins here with Noah. Noah begins an altar. Abraham built an altar in several locations to honor who God was. Also, Moses built an altar to the Lord. Joshua built two. He built one in the center of the Jordan and one on the other side of the Jordan, both of them to show the crossing of Israel into the promised land. Why do you build an altar? An altar is like a milepost. An altar is a thing that says, remember this. Don't forget this. This is very important. That's what anniversaries are. Anniversaries are these dates that we sanctify and say this is to remind us of how far we've come. That's why the big ones, the 10th anniversary, or 20th, or 30th, or 40th, or 70th, whatever you get to. Those are important because they remind you where you have been and where you are going. So these altars persisted into the New Testament age. They could go by and go, oh, there's the altar that Abraham built. There's the altar that Noah built. There's this altar and this altar. Everything before the flood was gone. So everything started new. Wouldn't it be nice if you could say today is the day I've come out of the ark. Today is my day to start over. Whatever I was before, whatever I did before, whatever mistakes I made before, I am putting that behind me. And from this day on, I am going to build an altar on this date. And that altar will be in my home. That altar will be a place where the word of God is present. That altar will be a place where Jesus' name is spoken. An altar in your life so that all of those who come into your home, come into your circle of friendship, come into your life, will know that this is where you committed to the Lord God. Noah had just survived the devastation of the entire world. And the first thing he did was praise God that he came through it. If you are a born-again Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have made that commitment, there should be an altar erected in your home. It doesn't have to be rocks in the living room or anything. A place where everyone will look and know and see that this is where Jesus Christ changed their life. I challenge you, see if there is an altar in your in your life. An altar where you pray, where you offer praise to God in your home. Is there a, is it every person that knows you, do they know that you're a believer? Do they see that there's a difference in you? Do they know that you have been changed by the God of eternity? Because everyone knew from Noah on exactly what that altar meant. Just like going to the Jordan, when Joshua built the altar in the middle of the Jordan, when God stopped the water, he built an altar right there and he built one on the other side. In fact, I was reading, and I forget where I was reading. He says, and we went down by the way of the river and we saw the altar that Joshua built. Yes! Hundreds of years later, they can still see the altar that Joshua built to commemorate Israel going into the promised land. Is there an altar in your life that people can see and understand this is where you were changed? This is where you became a follower of God. I hope that's true. You know what? Let's pray.